Well, good evening, everyone. Glad you're here. So, I want you to turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4 as we continue on our study of this. So Philippians is one of those books that, that you get the sense that Paul just really liked these people, that there wasn't a whole lot going on bad in this church, and he's just uh, exalting their praises or their faith in Christ and their love for each other and everything else, but like all churches, it's not perfect, and so we're going to look at an imperfect thing that's happening in the book of Philippians tonight. So uh, my wife, Eileen, up here, we, uh, we enjoy going to plays. And uh, we don't care if it's a high school play, a grade school play, a professional play, college play. We just like going to plays. But one evening, we went to a high school musical. And uh, for high school students, the, the, the acting was superb. The singing was great, except for one guy. When he would get up there and sing his songs, he would kind of waver off key. Uh, you know, that's... That's the polite thing to say. Say it. Basically, the guy couldn't sing, you know, and and it was, it was horrible. I mean, it was, you know, give the guys kudos for getting up there and trying. Uh, you know, that's a brave thing to do to sing. I, I mean, I don't sing in front of people, but he tried, but uh, it wasn't too good. So, I, I'm I'm not very musical. I can't sing. I can't play any instruments. Maybe some of you are like that. But I do know when somebody is in key and when they're not. I know when they're in harmony with the music, and I know when they're, when they're not. So uh, we, we come to our passage this evening, and it's talking about harmony within the church, church unity, living in harmony with each other, getting along with each other despite all the differences that are between us. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book. Of life. So that is the Word of God. Let's go to the God of the Word and ask His blessing on our time here today. Sir, Father in heaven, we thank you that you haven't left us as spiritual orphans, but you've given us your Word. And we pray that as we uh, go through this Word, that you would indeed consume our dross and that you would encourage us in your Word. You could encourage us in Christ. And Father, I don't know every heart here. I don't know every attitude here. I don't know the history of everyone here. But Father, you do. And I pray that as we go through this passage today, that you would speak to each one of us where we are, either an encouragement where we're doing well or as an admonition where we need to uh, do better in you. And so we put our time in your hands this evening. In Jesus' name. Amen. So like any good pastor, I have three points for you tonight. And the first point is this, stand firm in the Lord. So chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So the first word that Paul has in this passage is therefore. So uh, last week we 
we heard about how there's some people that Paul is associated with, maybe there's some people in the church who have left the church, that uh, they are actually enemies of the cross. But then he ends up saying, look, but, but, ladies and gentlemen, but, brothers and sisters in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. And because our citizenship is in heaven, we know that this world is not our home, and we're looking forward to something much greater than what's out here. And when we get up there into heaven, he's going to transform our bodies so that there's no more crying, no more pain, no more disease, no more flab, nothing in this life, no more old age. We will be like Christ because we will see him as he is. Therefore, in light of this truth, therefore, he takes the eternal truth of what we're going to be and he applies it here and now in our life. Therefore, he says, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, and here it is, here's the command, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. In light of what you're going to be like in eternity, what are you to do here in this life? We are to stand firm in the Lord. So, stand firm in the Lord. This is kind of the controlling statement for the next several verses here in Philippians. We're just going to look at the first three verses of this chapter but he says, therefore, stand firm in the Lord. This is a uh, uh, marching orders that we have as believers in Christ. So just listen to some other passages in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, or act like women, be strong. Galatians 5, 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Because we are free in Christ, therefore you are to keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Be free in Christ. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And uh, over here in Philippians 1.27, if you want to turn back to that, Paul's already said, hey, you need to stand firm. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so you and I, we are to stand firm. Now, this is a command, and the way that this command is put together, it means that it's an ongoing command. It's a habitual command. We are to always be standing firm as, uh, as believers and followers of Christ. In other words, there is never, ever, ever, ever an opportunity. Well, there is an opportunity, but there is never an excuse for us to do something other than to stand firm in the Lord. And this little word, stand firm, was used of soldiers in the front line. So when the enemies came to attack, and maybe the men were a little bit scared, the commander would say, stand firm, men, hold your ground, don't give up, don't give an inch, fight, fight, fight with all that you have. And so it is with us as Christians that we are never to compromise the gospel of Christ. No matter who makes fun of us, no matter what may happen to us in life, be it uh, health issues or relationship issues, Nothing like that. We are never, ever, ever to give in to grumbling or to complaining, never yield to temptation, never yield to sin, 
Never you to our own selfish desires, but you and I, we are to stand firm in the Lord. That's what we are to do. Not stand firm in ourselves. If I tried to stand firm on myself, I would just melt like a bowl of jelly. But we are to stand firm in the Lord. This is really the bedrock of our faith as we live in this world that uh, hates Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is to be the focus of all that we do. Then we, when we stand firm in him, we won't bow to pagans. We won't bow to the culture around us. We won't bow to our own disbelief. We won't bow to anything else. We won't be tossed to and fro by the different philosophies and theologies and ideas that are out there. But we are to stand firm on the Lord and his word. And so in our passage tonight, one way that we stand firm is to take pains to preserve church unity. So notice I didn't say we are to create church unity. Our unity in the church is already created by the gospel of Christ and through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's his responsibility. Our responsibility, though, is to preserve church unity, to make sure that church unity um, characterizes us as a church. So therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And so here's the second part, the second point here. Stand firm in preserving church unity. And this is verse 2. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So like I said at the very beginning, as we read the book of Philippians, it's pretty obvious that Paul really liked this church. This church was something that just gave him a lot of joy, unlike the Galatians or the Corinthians that just caused him grief, it seemed like, every time he turned around. This church here did not. This was a church that, uh, that was doing well, but there were still problems in the church. It was not a perfect church. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Why did he write that? It's because these two women were disagreeing and something was uh, coming between them. So Paul was in prison when he wrote the book of Philippians. And we don't know who it was, but evidently somebody came to visit him who was familiar with the Philippian church. And uh, Paul said, oh, tell me about the Philippians. What are they like? What's going on? How are they growing? And evidently, this fellow gave a, a very glowing report about the church. They said, oh, by the way, Euodia and Syntyche, you know them, Paul. Uh, they're having problems. They're not agreeing, and it's affecting the church a little bit. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. This little word, entreat, has the idea that Ladies, I'm urging you, I'm begging you, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Would you agree in the Lord? Do you see what's happening here, ladies? Agree in the Lord. Ladies, get along with each other because you're causing great harm to the body of Christ. Don't you see what you're doing to the rest of the church here? You need to agree, ladies. All throughout the New Testament, there is an urgent call for us as believers to preserve the unity of the church. As a matter of fact, every single letter 
that is written to a church has some word about unity in it. Every single one of them. I'm not going to read all of them, but I'll read three of them here. Okay, ready? 1 Corinthians 1.10. There's a church that needed some unity uh, help, huh? Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's 1 Corinthians 1.10. 2 Corinthians 13.11. Evidently, they didn't uh, pay attention to what Paul said in the first letter. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What did Jesus say? In the upper room, last few hours with his men, and you would think that uh, a man who knew he was going to die like Jesus did would give the most important teachings of his life, and he did, in the upper room discourse. Some of the last words Jesus said to his men in John 13, he said, look, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What characterizes a church? A church can be characterized by evangelistic zeal. I mean, you know, they're supporting 100 missionaries, and they're all missions-focused, and that's great. A church can be characterized by great preaching, like our church is. That's great. A church can be characterized by great singing. You know, there's a 100-member choir up here with uh, the big organ playing, and it just goes through you, and it's like, the heavens have come down and we're hearing the angels sing. Well, that's great. A church can be characterized by a lot of things, but Jesus says that the greatest thing that should characterize the church is the love that we have for one another. Why is that? Because, look, we have a lot of differences between us, and how easy it is to break up into different factions and different divisions and for us to be biting and devouring and trying to tear each other down. But he says, look, when you show love, when you show genuine Christian love to each other, the world is going to notice. Yeah, evangelistic zeal is great, but you know what? That doesn't prove that you really love me. None of this stuff really proves that you love me. The, the way that you prove that you love me is if you love one another. And that is going to be the greatest witnessing tool that a church has when we are living together in unity despite our differences with each other. Make no mistake about it, folks. God is very serious when it comes to the unity of his church. He will not tolerate those who sit back and complain and grumble and gossip and do all sorts of things in order to rip the church apart. So we're, well, we, we became members a couple weeks ago, I guess. I guess we're members. Are we members? Not yet? Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> we said we want to be members, so... <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're still working on it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Church is still debating about us if we're okay or not, I guess. Okay, all right, great. Well, we'll be there. So, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we went through the membership class. And, uh, boy, we, we really appreciate it, but... 
But, but one thing that I really appreciated what Pastor Josh did in the membership class is he really hit gossip hard. I mean, really hard. I've, I've been through a, through a few membership classes, and I've even led some, but I've never seen one that, that talked about gossip and just the destructive nature of gossip and how it's not tolerated in this church. And you know, we've been coming here four or five months, and we haven't, we haven't really sensed anything like that going on. And that's really commendable, and Christ loves that. But folks, maybe, you know, maybe this is just an encouragement. Hey, we're doing well. Let's do better, okay? And so gossip and all that is not to be a part of our church body. God takes a pretty dim view about those who bring disharmony into his church. He, uh, he wrote to Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 10. He says, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. That's some pretty harsh words from God, and yet he's dead serious about it. Euodia and Syntyche, two prominent women in the church, evidently, were in grave danger because whatever it was between them was kind of bubbling up into the church, and it was having a negative effect on the church. It was causing divisions in the church. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And so in these verses 2 and 3, Paul is still talking to these two women, talking about them. And uh, in these verses here, uh, we'll see five practical biblical mandates from God to his people about how to preserve church unity. Our responsibility, as I said, our responsibility is not to create church unity. That's already done in Christ. We can't do that. But we are to preserve it, as the Philippians, as this says in the Ephesians passage that we looked at earlier said. Okay, so here we go. Here's the third point. How to stand firm in unity. So first off, we are to reconcile our differences. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Notice here, that Paul gives these two women absolutely no freedom and no options to do anything else than to agree in the Lord. Okay? They cannot go on disagreeing. They can't ignore their problems. They can't run away from their problems. They can't say, well, hey, you know, we just disagree, so we're going to start up our own church, or we're going to go to a different church. No. They are urged, they are pleaded with, they are begged by the Apostle Paul himself. Ladies, agree in the Lord. Work it out. Now here's the rub. At some point, all of us, every single one of us in this room, are going to butt heads with another person in the church. Somebody in this church is going to offend me sooner or later. But you know what? Sooner or later, I'm going to offend somebody in this church. And so uh, this is going to be true for all of us. It's simply going to happen. We're going to have a disagreement with somebody else. We're going to have a personality conflict with somebody else. Something is going to come up that is going to tempt us to go into our little corner and start fighting. It's going to happen. And when that happens, not if... But when that happens, 
it is never, ever, ever right to do us, for us to do evil against another person by gossiping or slandering or getting into our little group and giving that person the cold shoulder. Never, ever, ever right to do that. Break up into factions or cliques or something else. But God's Word says it is our duty, it's our responsibility, folks, to be reconciled with each other. We need to go to that person and talk to them. Or that person comes to us and we talk to them. But we do need to reconcile our differences. And if we don't, these things are just going to fester. And they are going to pop out in our life somewhere. So let's do our best to be reconciled with each other. We are to bend over backwards to be reconciled with each other in the Lord. And so the first one is we are to be reconciled with each other. The second uh, idea that Paul, or that we can pull out of here, is that personal preferences need to be checked. Now, I'm, it, it doesn't say this exactly. I'm kind of interpreting here a little bit. But I think it's uh, legitimate. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We're not told what was going on with these two women. We don't know the nature of their disagreement, but I think we can be pretty sure that it wasn't theological in nature. I mean, if it was theological in nature, we know Paul, he'd be all over it. He would give us the truth. He'd say, hey, Yodia, you're wrong, or Syntyche, you're wrong, or hey, ladies, both of you are wrong. Here's the truth. I mean, if it was a theological dis disagreement, Paul would have said something, but he doesn't. It was some maybe personality clash that these ladies had. Maybe it was a difference of agreement of how something should be done in the church. We, we don't know exactly what it is, but it wasn't of a theological nature. It was, you know, more of a personal preference, probably, more that, that was going on. And so, you know, we look around our church, and uh, we all have different personalities. We all have different opinions. We all have different gifts, different strengths, different personal tastes, different likes, different dislikes, different preferences. We're all different in these things. Some of you like sausage pizza. Others of you like anchovy, and never the two shall meet. Okay, I don't like anchovy pizza. And folks, it's these kinds of things that cause 95% of the problems in the church. Because when I start looking at my preferences, all of a sudden I am turning my back on God's word as the standard. And my likes and my dislikes all of a, all of a sudden become the standard around which the church is to revolve. The church is here to satisfy me what I like, what I don't like, my preferences. And if I don't get my way, then you guys are wrong. But you know what? We all kind of have that opinion too. And so this is probably what was happening with Euodia uh, and Syntyche. As soon as they moved away from the standard of God's word to their own preferences, then troubles began, and it began to affect the entire church. I entreat you, Odia. I beg you, Odia. And I entreat, I plead with Syntyche, ladies, agree in the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, stand firm in the Lord. And here he says, agree in the Lord. Folks, 
this church exists for the Lord. This church or any other church is not the personal kingdom of any one person in this church. It is the Lord's kingdom. I mean, this is the kingdom of heaven. We're an outpost of the kingdom of heaven, if you will. And we are here to be in the Lord. We are here to worship God, worship his blessings, his person, his sovereignty, his authority, his divine attributes, his blessings that he gives us in Christ. And if we're not careful, oh, it is so easy to do. If we're not careful, we can subtly kick God off his throne and I can assume the throne because I become my own little G God. Let me give you an example here of some man-centered worship. We turn from Christ-centered worship to man-centered worship. Let me give you some examples. Someone may say, you know, Pastor Josh, he's a great guy, but man, his sermons are just way too long and too complicated for my taste. Someone else may say, you know, I think the sermons need more jokes and stories in them. I really wanted to hear a lot more about what he found on his phone this morning. Someone else may say, you know, Pastor, why don't you just stay with the text and get rid of the phones? I could, or get rid of the phone, Joe. I, I could care less what you found on your phone. Stay with the passage, you know? Get rid of the jokes. Get rid of the stories. Someone else may say, you know, I think the sermons are okay, but the service is just way too long. We need to cut out a song or two. And somebody else says the services are too short. We need to add a song or two. I think we should sing only the psalms. I think we should only sing songs found in the hymnals. I think we should get rid of the hymnals and only sing contemporary songs that were written after 2015. I think we should sing everything a cappello. No, I think we should only have the piano and nothing else. No, the piano's okay, but we should, and the guitar is okay, but it can't be electric. Electric guitars are okay, but we certainly cannot have the drums because the drums are of the devil. I think the greeting we do at the beginning of the service is a waste of time. I think we need less announcements. I think Pastor Josh should preach from the NIV. I think he should preach from the ESV. I think he should preach from the King James Version only. I think we should change the color of the carpet. I think we should have real wine for communion. I think we should have communion every Sunday. I think we should start church earlier. I think we should start church later. I, 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 me, me, me. It's all about me, and the list just goes on and on and on and on and on without end. You guys don't know me very well. I've pastored two churches, and I have heard all these things. Where do you think I got them from? We're here to honor God, folks. We're here to learn from his authoritative word. We're here to have fellowship with and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're distracted from these things and focus on our own preferences, then we've moved away from being worshipers of God to being religious consumers. And all of a sudden, it's about me. What are you going to do for me to keep me here? If you don't give in to what I think should be happening, (laughs) I'm going to another church until I find one 
that uh, I like. And ever so slowly, if we stay in the church, it's so easy to do. We become more and more pre preoccupied with what we don't like about the church or what we don't like about so-and-so in the church. And we begin to grumble and complain and gossip and insult those who don't cater to us. And eventually, Christ is no longer at the center of our worship, but it's replaced by the God of my own likes and dislikes, which is idolatry. And folks, I've been in churches where this has happened. I've been in churches where the church has just crumbled and fallen apart, and the pastor has been kicked out of the church because he didn't give in you know, to the preferences of some faction of the church. And God says, you know what? You would not better be the one that brings a faction into my bride and causes it to fall apart because you want your own way in the church. And this is what Euodia and Syntyche were doing. They were destroying the Philippian church at some level anyway because the church was being dragged into their disagreement. And the church, I mean, it's easy to see, it's easy to imagine, the church was taking sides. I'm of Euodia. I'm of Syntyche. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, you know? And the church is all of a sudden being broken up. So that's the second one. We really do need to keep a check on our preferences. And, you know, sometimes that's hard to do, I know. The third one here that we get out of this is every member is responsible for the unity of the church. So uh, uh, Philippians 4.3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, etc. So yes, I ask you also, true companion. So there's differences of opinion of exactly what Paul is talking about here. So this uh, little phrase, true companion, if you have the NASB or the ESV, it's translated true companion. The NIV translates it as uh, loyal yoke fellow, and the King James says true yoke fellow. So yes, I also ask you true companion. Okay, I have to throw some Greek at you. You ready? True companion. This word companion in the Greek is the word suzagos. And I agree with those who, who, who think that it shouldn't be translated companion, but it's somebody's name within the church, that he's addressing somebody in the church whose name is Susagas. Yes, I ask you also true or faithful Susagas. You help these women. You come alongside of them. You intervene, and you help them work out their agreements. Who was he? We don't know. We don't know, but we know that Paul trusted him. Paul calls him by name. I think he does anyway. He's calling him to get involved. Hey, do your duty. Help these two women to reconcile their differences. You, Susagos, you come in and you help them to preserve the unity of the church. And so, folks, it's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not the deacon's responsibility. It's not, uh, you know, the the Sunday school teacher's responsibility is all of our responsibilities. It's a member-wide responsibility for us to maintain the unity of the church. And if we see disunity happening, we need to go in and, uh, you know, use the gifts and talents to, to help people reconcile their differences. Sometimes 
if we are at an impasse, we do need someone to come in and help us, kind of a third party, someone who's more objective to come in and do it. And you may be the one that the Lord is going to use to do that. Isn't that something? We are all to be involved in the church ministry. The fourth thing here is that our unity is found in the gospel. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Look, what Paul, look how Paul describes them. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. And so they struggled. They fought alongside of Paul. They labored together with him in the promotion of the gospel. And now these two women who had fought for the gospel, now these two women are fighting each other over something that's probably not very important. Our struggle is not to promote our own personal agendas, but it's to promote the gospel. In verse 2, Paul says, agree in the Lord or live in harmony in the Lord. Find your unity with each other in the Lord. We highlight the Lord, and He's the one that unifies us, no matter what differences we might have. So again, you know, we haven't been at the church very long, four or five months or something, but, but it's easy to see that we have great diversity among our church body. I mean, some are white-collar workers and some are blue-collar workers. Some have no education beyond high school. Some of you, you know, hey, it's a good thing you got through high school, got your diploma maybe. And others have master's degrees or beyond. Some are young, some are old, I'm not going to point at anybody, and some are like me, who are in the middle, neither young nor old, but maybe moving on towards old. We have different ethnic groups in our church, we have different races in our church, we have different economic standards and salaries in our church. We might even have different political persuasions in our church. But no matter who we are and what we do, the cross of Christ is the great leveler of humanity. I mean, there's no distinction in the cross. We all come to him as lost sinners. We all come to him in desperate need of salvation. And for all of us, our salvation is in the Lord, and our unity is in the Lord. And our growth and our sanctification as believers is in the Lord. We are to live in harmony in the Lord. We are to fight for the gospel and not each other. So look, like Euodia, like Syndicate, we live in a world that despises Christ. We live in a world that hates everything about him. And yet sometimes we get so focused on lesser things that the gospel just kind of goes out the window. Now, I, I, hope, I hope I speak, you know, I hate this when others speak for me, but I hope I speak for the church leadership. Yeah, you know, there's discussions about church decorations and, and procedures and music and building changes and all the rest. I, they have their place. You know, we don't want to say that we can never say anything. They, they do have they, their place, but, you know, these things will never save anyone. They're all going to burn up someday and disappear, but the gospel is eternal, and we need to have as our highest priority 
the upholding of the purity of the gospel, preaching the gospel, living the gospel of Christ, not only to those within the church body, but especially to those outside of it. And the last thing here is we live in light of eternity. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The book of life is God's roll call of his saints. So if you're in Christ, your, your name is written in the book of life. It's never going to be erased from that. All of us, including those who follow Christ, all of us are going to stand before the Lord and give an account of ourselves before him. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Oh, hey, Yodia, hey, Syndicate, hey, follower of Christ. Wouldn't it be so much better to receive his praise and rewards for investing our lives in the things of eternity rather than being chastised by Christ for wasting our time on other lesser things, on personal disputes? God's word is eternal. It's seated in the heavens. And what do you think Euodia and Syndicate are thinking right now, trusting that they are in heaven with the Lord? knowing that their names are eternally written as someone who just couldn't get along in this life. Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. And so when I come to a passage like this, when it says that God hates something, well, I want to stand up and take notice. What does God hate? And if he hates it, I certainly want to stay away from it. Six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. This word abomination means it makes him sick to his stomach. It makes him want to vomit. That's how bad it is. What are the, six, the seven things? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies. When the Hebrews made a list, they would put the most important thing last because that's the last thing you're, you're to remember. What's the seventh thing that Lord, the Lord absolutely hates? What's the seventh thing that makes him want to throw up? And one who spreads strife among his brothers. God absolutely hates it. Folks, again, I, I, I think this passage, I hope this passage, I pray this passage is more of an exhortation. We are doing well. Let's do better rather than a rebuke. Hey, we need to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, my sense is it's more of an exhortation. But folks, let's just keep in mind that God takes church unity very seriously. He takes his church very seriously. And when a church is unified, it shows the great power of Christ because our eyes of, are off of ourselves and onto each other, treating others as more important than ourselves. And Christ says, John 13, that is your greatest witnessing tool to the world. So let's go ahead and end in prayer. Dear Father in heaven,
Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is, as we were reminded of this morning, it is powerful. It is a sword, it is a hammer, and it is a fire. And it goes right down into our very souls and cuts apart our intentions and cuts apart our desires. And so, oh God, I pray that as my brothers and sisters here are in the word throughout the week, and as we come and hear the word preached and taught in our various venues, that your word would indeed help us all to become more like Christ. So we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.